The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Family is a sinkhole, and you were right to get out when you had the chance. The stupid thing is, even now, I just want them to be proud of me, and I think I did good. Is that really stupid? Yep. No, it isn't. Yeah, it is. You want those guys to be proud of you? I guess I was just trying to get some modicum of closure. Closure is a made-up thing by Steven Spielberg to sell movie tickets. It's like true love in the Munich Olympics. Doesn't exist in the real world. The only thing now is to keep moving forward. Shall we begin? Munich Olympics massacre happened in 1972. Fact, Israel launched Operation Wrath of God in response. Is a Steven Spielberg film the best way to educate the public on what actually happened? What's the role and responsibility of a filmmaker whose main job is to put butts in the theater seats in bringing history to life? I'm Todd. And I'm Dave, and we like to talk about spy movies. Most everyone agrees on the facts, but there's a lot of dispute about the details of the 2005 film Munich, and we explore the gaps in this episode of Spies Like Us. David, I think I've been doing a pretty decent job of writing comedy bits uh, for the intros of these uh, Spies Like Us episodes, but I, I was really scratching my head. On, on how I was going to try to make Munich funny. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, serious subject. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was, I was absolutely happy. Just like, well, bolt out of the blue, landed on my plate. We just did the BoJack Horseman bit that I saw like two days later. Boom. I'll let the professional comedy writers do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the year of the movie is 2005, and uh, Spielberg had recently left DreamWorks his last film around the same year was War of the Worlds, uh, funny enough. Uh, very, very uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but originally Munich was supposed to be filmed first, but Tom Cruise had like a weird availability thing, so they had to get like War of the Worlds out of the way. He cranked Munich out in just like six months, like from, uh, from beginning of production to theater release date. That is fucking nuts. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is that is something only a highly experienced uh, director and you know producer in a way uh, you know can can accomplish. Yeah, he's definitely like gotten filmmaking down to a highly efficient uh, production model, I guess. <laughs> you know, for a, for a movie that is you know filmed in just six months. It's got a long runtime at 163 minutes. Jeez, it's almost three hours, yeah. I didn't feel it. No point did I feel like it was uh, this long. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It kind of kept me at the edge of my seat the whole time. It definitely did not feel that long. The film is based on a book. It's uh, based on the book Vengeance. It's not the first adaptation of the book. There was uh, some Canadian movie for TV called Swarta Gidgen. Hold on. Why, 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 why do you got to say Canadian with that dismissive tone? I don't know. I, I just thought it was kind of odd. Like, that's, that's way out of left field. Like, Well, interestingly, uh, the author of the book on which both the uh, Canadian movie, uh, Sword of Gideon, 
and the Spielberg movie called Munich uh, are based on was written by a, a journalist working in Toronto. So that oh, be, that's probably why they're... Yeah, that might be your Canadian connection right there. Right, right, right. Uh, the title of this movie, Munich, refers to, of course, the 1972 Munich massacre of uh, Israeli athletes during the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And the plot follows the Operation Wrath of God, which was an Israeli operation that was designed to uh, basically like punish uh, the PLO. Uh, for that massacre, and especially the group, uh, the the Black well, September. I, yeah, go I ahead. don't think Black September had anything to do with the PLO, other than members of Black September made it into the PLO. Black September is like some super sketched terrorist, or I guess underground uh, extremist organization that was um, basically founded by Salome after. Uh, I guess the Palestinians were abandoned um, at some point, and so it was it was specifically made up for the fact of revenge itself. Yeah, I kind of see like um, Black September as a, like a splinter group of the PLO. I think that would be in my mind the best way to describe them, like splinter oh, okay. group. Like they still have the same goals, but they are using different methods and they're not necessarily reporting back upstairs as to how they're pursuing the goals of the Palestinian people. Right. Right. Would that sound right? Splinter group? I I don't know, but we'll go with it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I just always saw them as just this kind of rogue group. I don't think they had any connection to the PLO other than a bunch of Black September members got into the PLO, but... Well... Let's just say that Yasser Arafat definitely showed up at the funeral of uh, Black September's founder. Yeah. And we'll, we'll leave it at that for right now. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of the, the things that we're going to see in this movie are impressively accurate. Um, but, but a lot of it's disputed as well. So before we get into it, let's, let's like just talk about our sources. We got a book by George Jonas called Vengeance. His source is a man named Juval Aviv. In the book, this this guy Juval Aviv, he is uh, personified in the book and in the movie Munich as the character of Avner, played by Eric Bana. He's our main character. We need to say here that uh, Aviv's credibility has been pretty much questioned or denied by virtually everyone. You can't find anyone in Mossad or the CIA or the FBI or anyone that will um, tell you or admit, you know, conspiracy theory. That he was part of any of this. I don't even think Aviv is claiming that he was Avner. I mean, he made some like... Uh, can't confirm or deny kind of comment, but like I don't even think he's trying to claim that he was this kind of uh, uh, point guard type of role in this uh, group of assassins. So that's the thing. We have this, uh, like multiple layers of how the story arrives to us. Uh, we have the initial source of Aviv. We don't know exactly what he told the author, George Jonas. We don't know exactly how much spin George Jonas put into that book. And then we don't know how much spin Steven Spielberg 
put into the book in making the uh, the movie Munich. A ton of the events that are depicted in the movie are a hundred percent confirmed by everyone. The main question seems to be whether or not this character Avner, that's played by Eric Bana, was actually central to those events. We have to consider whether Aviv could be trusted, whether Jonas can be trusted, or whether Spielberg can be trusted. But first, know that we did read a lot of articles and interviews, and to inform our opinions about facts versus fiction. Two documentaries, one from Al Jazeera called Israel's Hunt for the Red Prince, I think it was. And one from the Israel Documentary Channel, which I think was on the History Channel, and it was called The Revenge of the 1972 Munich Olympics. Yeah, and I'll say this, too. Like, uh, you know, like, when we're looking at, like, whether or not how much we trust Steven Spielberg to have translated the book correctly, uh, we don't know exactly how much he actually relied on the book. Many of the details that uh, he put into the film could have come from many other sources. And finally, it's worth mentioning that the author uh, didn't like the movie. No. And I think Spielberg had his own research team, right? He did. He did, yeah. He he put his own research team onto it, and uh, they allegedly found FBI documents that corroborated the source Avner's story and uh, gave them the confidence to go ahead with this. Oh, that's kind of cool. Voice pattern recognized. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. The movie opens with a montage that's meant to just establish the era. Uh, It's the year 1972. And we're going to go pretty quickly into seeing the events of the Olympics 1972 Munich Massacre, or at least the start of it. We'll we'll spread the, uh, or at least the movie, we'll spread the events of the actual massacre across the film. But it makes it makes sense because Spielberg wants to accurately like show like all the events, but like we don't need to sit there for twenty minutes at the beginning of the film before we get to the story, right? So it's a good right. story. It's a good filmmaking choice to to spread it out like that. Yeah. You know, nineteen seventy two terrorist operation performed by the Black September Operation, which was a Palestinian militant organization. And what's what's happening around in nineteen seventy two is that. Um, you know, these, these Palestinian militant groups had been performing some successful terrorist operations within Israel-Palestine, but Israelis had really ramped up their game, and these, these operations were no longer uh, uh, being pulled off successfully. Um, you know, because Israel was just on top of them. They were, they were quashing these things down before they could happen. So the the 1972 Munich operation is striking in Europe. With experienced terrorists like this walking into Germany that didn't have as heavy counterterrorism responses as Israel, they were able to pull it off. The details that we see in the film about the Munich massacre are not in dispute by anyone. In fact, seem to be like very, very accurate to all the documented evidence. Um, 
even to the point of uh, there's this one Black September guy we see in the film that's got this white hat, you know, it's kind of like white sun hat. And you can see that same guy in like photographs and, uh, and, and, and film of the event. And that specific guy was uh, apparently an engineer who had helped build the Olympic Village, and so he knew its layout. Yeah. Uh, the Al Jazeera document suggests, without exactly stating that he was the actual mastermind, and he died, the white hat guy died during the attack. So we're never going to find out what his, you know, we're never going to necessarily find the truth out about that. Right. But, but I have no reason to think that the, you know, that the Palestinians have any, I mean, I can't think of a reason for them to disseminate on this point. I mean, both of the guys are dead. Who does, why does it matter? Like who was the guy that masterminded the, the massacre? Right. The Israelis form a plan. This is uh, it, it's not stated in the movie, but this is a, a committee X they put together to uh, come up with a response. And the response they come up with is an operation called Wrath of God. And in the movie, they're going to task our hero Avner to kill 11 people that they say were involved in the planning of Munich. And this is our main character who's played by Eric Bana. And he's also, again, the uh, supposed to be the guy who's the source for the book Vengeance on which the film is based. In the film, Avner's chosen because he's very ordinary and knows his way around Europe. He They set it all up where um, he's going to resign from his whatever his job was with Israel, it's not 100% clear, but... He said it was like some boring desk job where he filed papers or something. So he was some sort of, uh, I guess, uh, government bureaucrat somewhere on the ladder somewhere. <laughs> I think it was also, I think it was also, though, suggested that at some point he had been the um, part of the security detail for the prime minister. Oh, really? Because someone, someone, he said, like, I think you just, you know, because apparently his father was like, uh, you know, a big shot in Mossad or something. Yeah, he was and, a huge and, national hero for Mossad, yeah. Right. And there was just some, some mention of like, uh, he just thought that she liked having the son of a hero around her or something. But uh, he's definitely not like, uh, I don't know, he's not, Avner, our guy Avner is not part of Mossad, at least not until now, but even now, not officially, because the way they go about it is um, circuitous. And they they cut all ties between him and Israel so that he can't be traced. You know, they want him to be, like, completely untraceable. And they set up this Swiss bank account uh, that's got the funds in it. And, you know, he can leave them notes in the safe box and they can leave notes for him. But there's not going to be any direct communication. And they assign him a team of four guys with, uh, quote-unquote, various skills they don't know each other. They haven't worked together before. We're going to talk more about that later. Uh, but, you know, at least in the movie, they do seem to bond well together. I think it was smart of Avner, just like, you know, minor, minor, uh, tiny, I don't even know what to call it, spy points, but just like management points for uh, starting it off by like cooking everyone dinner. I thought that was just, you know, it's a, it's a smooth move. Yeah. And they sure don't skimp on the food budget. I know, yeah, receipts, Abner. Uh, no, yeah, they're always eating these like elaborate feasts. But no, yeah, that's a good point. That that was a good move for him to kind of get the group kind of warmed up to each other by cooking them dinner. But this is a point of dispute 
there actually was a much bigger operation than what was portrayed. Uh, in fact, the, a lot of these events aren't actually in dispute, but one of the things that are in dispute is that it was a five-man team. Uh, according to Masad, they actually had a whole full operation with like a bunch of analysts and people watching and all, yeah. It's not known how many names were actually on the list. Some say as many as 20. Um, they do confirm that at least in their minds, uh, Salome, as we see in the film, was confirmed as the highest priority target. And they did believe him to be the mastermind of Munich, even though... Well, that's, and that's, that's, a, that's another point of dispute, is uh, the, the Black September founder, Ali Hassan Salome, what is in dispute is whether or not he was the mastermind of Munich. The Al Jazeera doc throws some doubt on that. Like maybe he helped with some training, kind of planned a little bit, but probably not. But he definitely was not the mastermind other than Israel still actually does believe he was the mastermind. Salome is one of those kind of interesting characters. He's not your typical terrorist. I believe he's specifically like, uh, uh, just didn't want to be seen like one of those people in photographs that were wearing like the black and white checkered, I think it's called a Keith. What's that yeah. called? Right. And like brand brandishing AKs. Yeah. He had a, he had a much different image. Yeah. He was much more higher class, more hip kind of looking. He was really into Elvis and Johnny Cash, I think would go out to clubs, dressed very Western, uh, kind of hunted himself in a very Western way. You know, so he wasn't your typical kind of uh, terrorist. He was like the cool one, if, if there's such thing as that, I guess. Yeah, if there's such <laughs> a, the, No, I mean, but it's, it's apt, you know? I mean, he was, yeah. like, trying to portray, like, kind of a more sympathetic, or not, not necessarily sympathetic, but, like, a more relatable face of the Palestinian extremist cause. Right. You know, someone, someone that Western people could look at and say, like, oh, I, I might be able to identify with that person yeah but it's also it's kind of like you know, that, when you, that i mean when you claim. see like some 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 weirdos in you know i mean sorry to call them weirdos but you know from a certain uninformed perspective you know you just see these people in like uh you know these strange to you to your eyes to your media eyes garb uh brandishing rifles in the desert you're like who are these fuckers you know right but you, you see this young handsome guy uh, in sunglasses running around Europe and you might, you might, I mean, you, you will, you'll, you'll, you'll form a different image of what his cause might be. Well, yeah, this is, yeah. This is like that KKK grand leader guy or whatever. That was, he did the exact same thing. He took off the hood, dressed in a suit, was very well spoken that is such a great that is such a great parallel. Good job. You can also see it too as like um, you know, Salome is not just creating this image, this kind of new uh rebranding <laughs> image for the sake of Western audiences, but also for Palestinian young men, you know, that like maybe they would look at again like the you know, creepy guy with a mask and an AK in the desert looking like some kind of, you know, just just religious fanatic. Right. Uh, whether, whereas, like, when you see, uh, you know, pictures on TV of Salome, uh, you know, like, flaunting as well, driving around, you know, he's wearing cool Western clothes, he's going to the clubs with women and stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, they, they dubbed him, he got the nickname The Red Prince. 
yeah. uh, for, <laughs> for all of this. And it's also like it's a more attractive uh, recruitment image, right? Yeah. So that leads into like where the Al Jazeera document, you know, we, we wanted to talk about like what, what the actual like underlying motivation of Wrath of God was. Because I think that's a subject that the movie takes very seriously. Um, it, to its credit. And the, the Al Jazeera documentary position, like what they're basically saying is that the, the Wrath of God was mostly for publicity. And that Salome was at the top of the list, not necessarily because he was the founder of Black September, but because he was such a, like just a, high publicity target their stance is that like what the israelis were trying to do was take out people that the world would all hear about you know not just some guy in a bunker in a desert somewhere like you know it's it's said like a few times in the movie like nobody cares what happens in the border provinces nobody pays attention to that right but this but this guy you know that's got a big like kind of a cult following and a big public media presence, you know, you kill him and people take notice. On the other hand, Israel basically said that Wrath of God was purely strategic. Uh, Their approach was to prevent future threats of anybody being able to do this. So that's kind of like what Mossad or Israel is claiming their motivation for Wrath of God was. So like one version is that the names on the list were literally... Uh, just high publicity targets that Israel thought if we kill these people, everyone will notice and everyone will see that we are very capable of killing anyone we want to kill anywhere mm-hmm. we can. Right. That's that's the publicity angle. Israel's version is no. The names on those lists were chosen because not because they were necessarily involved in Munich. And not for publicity, but because these are names that we believed were capable of carrying out a future Munich. That it was pure, like you said, purely strategic mm-hmm. and purely just to stop later attacks. And then we get to our third uh, reason why the names would have been on the list. And, and that's right there in the title of the book, Vengeance. You know, and, and I think that's the approach that the journalist who wrote the book and possibly Aviv, who's the source of this information for the book, might have painted this picture as this was just a revenge campaign to get back at the guys who killed Israeli athletes. But, uh, you know, it's really clear in the movie that, um, you know, the, the Israelis are not comfortable with the idea of revenge. It seems to be something that, like, is abhorrent to their Jewish soul, that that they would see, ah, if we're doing this for revenge, we're committing a sin kind right. of thing, right? Right. And, and, and they struggle with that from the higher, highest levels down to the members of our characters in the movie. And I think that, you know, like uh, I, we mentioned that the author did not like the movie at all. He's, he's well, a yeah. very fierce critic of the movie. And so, and it, that seems to be partially because like uh, Spielberg kind of painted the operation as more i don't know just not uh, revenge based where it, right. it, i don't know i just get the notion that the that the book was more about like 
we're gonna fuck these Palestinian motherfuckers in the ass for what they did. Yeah. <laughs> like, and again, like you said, it's right there in the title, Vengeance. Yeah. Like, why do you call the book Vengeance if, you know, like all the characters in the movie that we see, like they wouldn't have named their book about this Vengeance. No, they probably wouldn't have. And to wrap it up, I want to note that uh, I, I think that Steven Spielberg handled this really well in the movie um, because the way that, you know, like, again, like Salome's at the top of the list, no matter how you slice it, right? But we, we already see, like, there's three possible reasons he could have been on the top of the list. It fits all of the three theories. He could have been at the top of the list because if, if they were out for revenge and they believed he was the mastermind, then that's why he's at the top of the list. If it was just he was a high-profile target for maximum publicity, that's another reason he could be on the top of the list. And lastly, if they were like, well, he's the founder of Black September, he could do, you know, he could do this kind of thing again. And strategically, we need to prophylactically, proactively stop these things from happening in the future. That's another reason he could be on the top of the list. It doesn't really matter which... Which is the real motivation, because all three of them kind of get accomplished in this whole event. It probably was a mix of, of the three. Yeah. But it'll, it'll come, I think it'll come up more later when we talk about Abner's plausibility uh, as, as a reliable source for these events later in, the, later in the episode. Yeah. After the team's assembled, the operations begin. And the operations begin with Abner visiting a friend who is some... Like, uh, revolutionary tendencies and communist friends gets them connected to some other friend that gives them one of the names that they're in Rome, their first target, which is an author giving a talk that night. Basically, the guy's just an easy kill. He was out looking for some... He was at, like, a grocery... Speaking of which, I really want to discuss uh, the Spielberg uh, approach to spy films. Um, this whole film is riddled... Uh, with these moments where people are obviously spying and uh, our worrying guy is standing outside of a small mini mart. Like we're not talking about like a Ralph's or like a Kroger or something like this. We're talking about like a mom and pop shop mini mart and even smaller than like that. Like one of those ones you probably find in New York, right? Those tiny ones. And he's just standing outside, staring at their target, smoking a pipe. Like, and, and so, like, there's this crazy shot of him just looking super nervous, smoking a pipe, staring at this guy. This is what we're watching, is they're kind of watching the target. Um, in the Israeli doc, they confirmed the first target was in Rome, and the way that they showed him killed was exactly how he was killed. Well, I can say from Wiki, um, you know, like I said, they confirmed that the, that the, the hit went down exactly like that. There's... Israel did claim he was a member of Black September and was involved in, you know, a failed plot against an airliner. So I guess that's, again, like why Israel would say he's on the list is because he tried to do something uh, in the past. So he could try to do something like that again. Um, but uh, members of the PLO said that he was in no way connected whatsoever. And uh, the chief deputy of the PLO said that the guy was actually energetically against terrorism. And... I gotta say, I gotta say that I didn't read, I mean, I didn't, this guy didn't read as a bad guy. He also read to me as like, kind of like, I don't know, too old. No, I don't want to say too old to be involved, but just 
too geeky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least in the film, that's kind of the mannerisms he gave off was kind of just a guy that was an academic giving talks. But, I mean, I guess you never know, especially after uh, that character in a Most Wanted Man who was a full-on professor and he was, like, funding terrorism. I, I don't know. But I agree with you that, like, uh, he, this guy did not seem like uh, the target they would have been looking for. 100%. So this, yeah. But uh, the Roman contact that Avner makes actually introduces him to another guy, Louis, in Paris, uh, who ends up becoming the main information broker in the film, uh, who's uh, doesn't really give away what he's from, uh, and it's kind of mysterious as to where he gets his information, who he serves, but he makes it very clear that they don't serve governments, uh, that they work in the private sector. So, uh, yeah. And, and we've got a whole section on his group coming up later. Yeah. By the way, you know, Todd and I both love the different Daniel Craig shirts that come on uh, all, over, all over the place. He's always in a new shirt, and it's some snazzy 70s shirt. 100%. The man's got impeccable taste, and he can fucking rock a shirt. Yeah. Like, he, he looks like he's about to go to a club, but he has to stop somewhere to do some coke. Uh, <laughs> it's, that's exactly what the shirts look like. Yeah. At this point in the film, uh, we see on the TV, uh, we see that some plane hijackers, uh, some some guys, uh, Palestinian guys, hijacked a plane, and uh, as part of their demands, they negotiated three of the, and I think it was just just the three uh, surviving terrorists from the Munich massacre. Um, who had been, I guess, captured by German... Yeah, it was captured by Germany, and were being held by them. So they hijacked a German plane, and they said, you know, we're going to, I don't know, blow this plane up, crash this plane or whatever, unless you uh, let those three guys go and release them to Libya. There was a shot where they showed uh, the three guys being released and this guy translating, uh, and and then they look at the picture of their next target, and I'm not sure if the translator is their target or if just using the, the this whole shot is used to get them to think, hey, let's pretend to be reporters. Anyway, but, but yeah, th- what they used is used the idea that this event just happened. Let's go pretend to be reporters. And so the bomb maker is the one that pretends to be the reporter and he gets in the house and is able to get information about the house phone so that they later can plant a a, a bomb phone later so it looks just like the same phone that they have and this is actually my number three best tradecraft um because uh the the target that they're going after would have been very open to having uh an interview you know he he was involved in that and this recent event you know a lot of people were upset and and excited and happy and angry and whatever so the timing was perfect so Pretending to be a reporter to just trying to get in really uh, kind of played to the guy's ego so that he was able to get into his house and get more information about, like, the phone or logistically how to carry out this hit. Yeah, good call. And uh, the uh, Israeli documentary does confirm that uh, phone bombs were used in the operation. They confirm, like, that there were, you know, in the film we see them using all these different uh, varied means of killing their targets, which yeah. seemed to be like like part of the plan. We can kill you this way, we can kill you this way, we can kill yeah. you this way. Yeah. Uh, well, it, you know, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the film was watching them 
spiraled down into getting more creative with their kills. Like they, they basically turned into serial killers. They started obsessing over each next kill and they got progressively more and more uh, elaborate. So I, I, I really like that about the film. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I wanted to give some quick plus five points to uh, uh, Avner's hat, hat on, hat off is his go no signal to, to dial the phone and trigger, trigger the bomb. Uh-huh. And uh, after that up is where Avner's daughter is born, uh, which uh, we knew this earlier that his wife was uh, three months away from giving birth uh, at the time that he accepted the mission. Why do I bring this up? Well, it's a nice way for us, at least within the frame of the movie, to timestamp this, which I think is important, that uh, we're looking at the fact that everything that has happened up until now in the movie has to have happened in the span of three months. Which means they pulled off finding and taking out two targets in three months, like high-profile targets in two, three months. And that is going to lead into our discussion about plausibility of this five-man team having done this, which again goes to the source Avner's uh, reliability as a source. Uh, I'll just I'll just start off with uh, I don't really buy it. Uh, you, got, <laughs> you got five guys that have never worked with each other before. Some of them don't even really have experience with this kind of stuff. Some of them do. I mean, the document guy, Hans, right. he, he seems to, you know, well, I mean, what he does documents. That's great. Right. Um, Daniel Craig's character, Steve, fucking Steve, such an amazing, <laughs> like, how could that guy be any other name than Steve? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's total Steve. Um, he seems to know his shit. Uh, we know that Abner hasn't done this kind of shit before. We know that their bomb maker is actually like a actually a toy maker, and he's a bomb diffuser. He, right? He, yeah, he knew how to take apart bombs, but he wasn't really a bomb maker. And he definitely hasn't, you know, been like I don't know specifically trained in this kind of op. So you know, big like minus five points for the idea that this five man team pulled this off in in these three months. Yeah, uh, the only other guy that had experience was Glasses Guy, probably the one that worries. Uh, he's a hundred percent confirmed as a very experienced guy. He gets really mad at Daniel Craig later in the movie when right. Daniel like challenges him on his uh, his uh, loyalty to the cause. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he gives he just gives him a big dressing down about all the fucking shit that he's done for Israel. Yeah, you know, on the front lines of the of the war against terror. Yeah, so, and, and Israel actually admitted to Wrath of God operation, uh, but they, they say, you know, uh, that this super black team didn't really exist, that they had a whole regular team that you would normally expect from a large operation like this, like with tons of analysts and uh, uh, people watching and counter surveillance and uh, it's pretty much disputed by everybody that there was just a five-man team, right? Except right. except the book Vengeance, yeah, which which 
uh, again, like Steven Spielberg, he stands by. He says he did his own investigation that satisfied him that this was accurate. I don't know how you know how far to take that. Who you gonna who you gonna believe? Well, that's a funny question. Who you gonna believe, a filmmaker or a spy? Well, in one case, the spy probably knows more about it than than the filmmaker. But on the other hand, the spy has like more motivations to lie to you about it. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. But I'm actually going to put this as my number one worst tradecraft is not having a sufficient team. And this is going to be a reoccurring theme for me in, in, in our podcasts because uh, it's, it's really important not to go out, you know, like uh, the Armand Flint thing where he like denied a whole team handed to him that he's just going to be like a desperado. You know, it's really, really important to have a team in these type of situations. And later on, there's actually going to be a moment where heavy counter surveillance would have been beneficial and, and, and it wasn't available because there's just the five of them, like just kind of, you know, uh, like a magnificent seven time type of group just showing up to like wreck the town or whatever, you know, regardless of the accuracy of it just on its face, like it, it just doesn't look good. I mean, it's, it's not the way you would go about this. But right. I'll, I'll say, too, like, you know, I thought about the film that would have been made where it was more accurate, where all these hits are being done by all these different people spread out all across Europe. And, you know, you end up with a cast of like, you know, 48 people instead of five. And I feel like there's maybe filmmakers that could have made that movie uh, that way. But Steven Spielberg, that's not the movie Steven Spielberg would make. He just wouldn't make that movie. Right. This is this is the kind of movie he'll make. Right, exactly. With with obvious shots of people staring at people. <laughs> but before you know, and before we leave Abner behind and his plausibility, and and we'll not bring it up again unless we really have to, because I just wanted to talk about it here. Was uh, to remember the conflicting accounts of Wrath of God's purpose. If you're trying to find reasons to believe Avner's account that it really went down like this with this little five-man team, then maybe there was a part of Wrath of God, like there was a part of Committee X that, you know, not everyone necessarily in a bureaucracy is always working hand-in-hand hand with everyone. The team isn't always, like, all pulling in the same direction. And maybe there were elements of Committee X that did that were like, hey, fuck this, we're going to get some revenge. And maybe they fielded this little five-man team, you know, just like, you know, with some of the budget and just didn't, like, tell everyone about it. And that would be, that would be like, again, I'm not a believer in Avner's account of events or this five-man team kind of thing. I'm just saying that if you were looking for reasons to believe it, uh, that's, that's, that's one right there. So, yeah, overall minus five points. But uh, it's it's really fucking cool story wise. I mean, you know, it definitely it's very, makes for a good story. Yeah, it's very it's very romantic. This idea of you know this. I mean, that's that's one of the things like I really loved about the movie when I first saw it. It's like, oh, these five guys they're getting they're completely cut off. They're doing the whole like Mission Impossible. If any member of your team is is captured, you know, we will totally like deny any knowledge of your existence kind of stuff, but done in a, in a, in a less cheesy way. Right. It's going to lead me though, to my number three best tradecraft, which is I wanted to put a little bit of a spotlight on glasses role in the group. This is again, the guy that worries. This is the, the most, the older, most experienced guy on the team. 
and what he does is well let's uh let's tackle it this way so when we talk about like that these kind of ops were most likely done with uh larger teams i did find a source i i kind of lost it couldn't find it again but it kind of went into detail on how these teams actually operate which is uh and it's a 16 man team and if i had the details right i think there's four uh gunmen there's four steves <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's four guys that tail the gunmen and then there's like four guys that do like uh, I don't know technical support and and four like specialists or something sixteen man team you know Daniel Craig at their first dinner together he asked glasses like what you know he's asking everyone like well what kind of skills do you have blah 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 and glasses was like me I worry and everyone had a laugh about that and just went on eating and it was part of their bonding process but also I kind of felt like you know uh, a more realistic film like Daniel Craig would have laughed taken a couple bites and then said, no, really, <laughs> it's kind of it's important. Like, yeah. what do you, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. But I can, I can kind of see what he does. Cause, um, Ephraim who's played by Jeffrey Rush, who was, uh, who's Abner's case officer. He's kind of like the, the guy that like, you know, set up the whole Swiss account and stuff. You know, he explained to Abner in the thing, he said, there'll be some people that will just, tail you and make sure you didn't accidentally leave your passport next to a body and in the first hit that they did and that was uh bomb maker and avner were the guys that that pulled the trigger and then they get the fuck out of there right because they just shot a guy in rome you know total illegal i mean it's it's literally murder right um and he comes in and cleans up the the bullet casings and i also noticed that he like, he's never a trigger man in the thing. I forgot to check to see if he was actually even one of the guys that had to pull a straw. Because I'll give you another one, too. Like, he's the guy that uh, later in the film is going to negotiate with the manager of the hotel. Uh, you know, the one I'm talking about where, where, yeah. the, where the PLO and the KGB were? What I like about this and why it gets plus five points for me is because it makes sense to have a cleanup guy or to have a guy who is the guy that talked to the manager so that if, you know, the cops come later and talk to the manager and they finger glasses and like he gets caught somehow or whatever, he didn't pull the trigger, you know? Yeah. And like, why have him go in and clean up the bullet casings? Because, okay, yeah, you do want to clean up the scene after the hit, but don't have the guys that pulled the trigger do the cleanup. Have yeah. someone else do that. Again, just in case, you know, the cops show up faster than you thought or something, then the guy they nab is not the one, again, that, that pulled the trigger. So, yeah, I just, I just dug that. We're next going to talk about the, the biggest op that's featured in the movie and also really the one that is the most uh, heavily documented in reality. Uh, this is Spring of Youth, uh, which was in April 1973. Now, Steve really wants to go get the three guys in Lebanon, um, which can be confusing because we just saw the three terrorist survivors of Munich go to Libya. These are actually three different guys. Uh, but Ephraim, who's the handler of the op, is really firm, no Arab countries. Um, Ephraim says the Mossad will take care of it. Abner says, hell no. If you do that, Louis will 
no, we told you and we'll be cut off from info. Ephraim wants the informant's name. Abner, of course, will not give it up. And this kind of, uh, this is where we see Abner start to really kind of come into himself as a, as a, uh, a leader of this group. Oh, yeah, and they totally back him up, you know, when he when he stands his ground in front of Ephraim. Uh, Ephraim says, like, oh, you're going to give me the informant's name. And by the way, that's not a request. That's an order. And Glasses cuts in and says, like, you can't give him an order. He doesn't work for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I love that, you know, it's just talking about just things I love about the movie. Like, this is that moment where, like, Ephraim starts to realize there might be, like, some downsides of doing things this way with, with this totally unaccountable dark op you know yeah. it's it, it kind of cuts both ways you know you create something that's outside of your control actually uh, edward snowden mentioned this in his book about tor did you know i think it, it was i remember if it's the cia or the nsa created tor specifically so they could go and watch people anonymously all over the world like other governments and stuff that were uh you know that, that this virtual the, the vpn that tor creates Based on other computers. Oh, and, Tor! You mean literally? You you're talking about Tor, the 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 browser? Yes. Funny thing is, what they created to for their benefit has also been used against them by other groups. Uh, and ma- mainly, uh, Snowden mentioned how he was able to like keep communication. Anyway, the point is, is I like the parallel. <laughs> so yeah, this op, this op. Uh... We, we see, I mean, the, the wiki confirms, you know, again, this is one that, like, the movie, it gets it right. Uh, you know, the Israeli troops uh, uh, showed up in Lebanon, like, special forces, Israeli troops, uh, on, on speedboats that were launched from uh, offshore missile boats. And there were some Mossad agents that were awaiting the forces on the beaches with cars that were rented uh, so that they could drive them to their targets and then drive them back to the beaches for extraction later. And in the film, it's shown that uh, it's Avner and Daniel Craig that are, uh, you know, the quote-unquote Mossad agents that are performing this task. And, um, you know, again, we don't need to talk about blah, blah, blah. It probably really wasn't, like, the same guys, you know. But one of the best parts of this whole op is uh, the, the Israeli forces dress up in drag to kind of pretend... To be like drunk couples walking out on the night having a good time. And this is actually confirmed. Like, fucking confirmed Ahud Barak was in drag. Future Israeli Prime Minister Ahud yeah. Barak yeah, that, in that was... drag. <laughs> yeah. my, my new hero, my new hero, Stormy, he was the leader of the operation. And we see him, at least in the movie, like, he takes point and he's the first guy that, like, you know busts out his gat and, and, and like, takes out the guards. His gat and his pantyhose? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but this, this is actually my number one best tradecraft. Fucking um, A. It is mine as well. Yeah. Uh, the three targets that they're after are, like, kind of holed up in this uh, building, and there's, like, a checkpoint with guards, and they're heavily guarded and stuff like that. So a bunch of buff dudes rolling up, is not going to look good because you have to get past the first couple of waves of guards to get in. But uh, a bunch of drunk couples kind of wandering the streets at night is pretty normal, you know, and they could be part of their group because they had a lot of guys in that building. So it could just be 
their guys out with some like you know of the local ladies or whatever well it worked and uh they kind of got through and started uh wreaking havoc throughout that whole area so yeah. definitely well like, they, i mean they, they were going to a specific apartment building um you know, once once they get past the guards, then they just have a limited amount of time to like get in, get to the apartment building, take out their three targets, and get out. The whole operation, they were like in and out in like forty minutes. Well, I think it was thirty minutes. I I, I read that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thirty. That's that's dope. Did you notice like when one of the guys going in, he's got a photograph like taped to his rifle? Like, oh yeah, kinda, that was like, really cool. Yeah, taped so that it's like upright to him, so that like whoever he's looking at, whoever he's pointing the rifle at, he can see like right there in front of him, like you know, and just do a side by side of the photograph and his target, because um, you know it was clear that they really just wanted to get the right guys, and even there was um, that part where they they find a guy hiding under a door. And and the guy looks at him and he's like he's like not sure and so he goes and he asks the buddy like hey 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 I'm not sure does this look like him and the guy's like mm. the guy's like yeah that's him um, so so I like that that attention to detail and and demonstration that they uh, again like you know they're not in there just to murder Palestinians left yeah. and right they want they want to specifically just get their specific targets right. Which is also like weird that too though that that like if they have that kind of commitment to not hurting civilians, then maybe you know don't use the bombs. Yeah, you know I, I was kind of thinking that too. I, I don't know why bombs were so stressed, and but it might have been just for the movie. But no, it's absolutely not. It's absolutely confirmed. Like. The uh, all the bombs type of bombs that we see used in the movie, they're confirmed as you know, like the documentary that I watched didn't specifically say, oh, this guy was killed with this kind of bomb like you see in the movie, but they did say that they used all sorts of bombs. They said they used phone bombs. No, they I know. What I'm, bombs. I believe that they were using bombs, but at the beginning, uh, Ephraim like stressed, use bombs. It's better. Or whatever. I don't know if that was actually like what they were told to do or not, or if they just kind of were like, well, let's just start bombing people. Well, it's clear that that's what they did. But yeah. again, we just want to point out that it just, I mean, historically and movie wise, runs contrary to their avowed interest in protecting, uh, you know, collateral damage to innocent civilians. Yeah, they did use a lot of explosives. Uh, which definitely caught quite a bit of attention all over the world. But the Lebanon op itself got the attention of Louis and Papa, which flagrantly went against the no government agreement. So next episode, we're going to go over Papa's response and the final ops of Spielberg's 2005 portrayal of Munich. If you'd like to get updates for the next episode, subscribe to Spies Like Us podcast on iTunes, Google, or your favorite podcast app. Also, you can find updates on our Facebook page or website, spieslikeus.net. And please, if you can, help us out and give us some feedback by rating us and leaving comments. We're always trying to improve the show, and your thoughts would be a big help. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.